First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. So if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, you turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, uh, the first chapter of the first book of the New Testament. Uh, as we begin to prepare our hearts for Christmas, I'm going to be speaking today about Joseph, the man that God chose to be the earthly father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I was preparing for this message this week, I couldn't help but thinking about the last time uh, that I preached about Joseph. Uh, It was five years ago on Christmas Eve, and I'm not sure how many of you were here Christmas Eve 2015, but I used to do these uh, dramatic monologues occasionally on Christmas Eve, and I did one on that night. And so we built a little uh, kind of first century carpenter's workshop here on the corner of the stage, and I dressed up in character as Joseph, and I had my son Silas, who's now 11, but five years ago he was six, And uh, he played the role of Jesus that night, kind of playing on the floor in the workshop. I actually went last night to our church's uh, media page where all the sermons are. I can't believe we have that many years where I didn't know we went back that far, but I was able to find that and watch some of that. It was kind of neat seeing Silas at at six years old as a part of that. And uh, and everything was going okay, I guess, until uh, one time when I was referring to my son, Jesus, but I said in one of the services, I said, uh, and my son, Silas, and and I didn't even realize that I did until everybody started laughing and Silas, he kind of looked up at me and smiled and realized I had had broken uh, character. Uh, But it it was pretty funny. It was a great memory of doing that with Silas. Uh, But it is also the last time that I have done a dramatic monologue. So um, I guess I lost my confidence or something. So you're not getting that today. You're getting the normal Joseph sermon today. But, But in this series, we are looking at the story of Christmas as a drama, as a play. Uh, Like any play, it has a cast of characters. And we're going to look at those characters one by one over the next several weeks leading up to Christmas. Now, this cast of Christmas lived out the true story of Christmas on the stage of human history as it was really happening. And the story that they lived out is one that is still affecting our lives today. And so each week in this series, we're going to try to step into their shoes, as it were, and to experience the story through their eyes and see what we can learn from them. And so again, today we're starting with the leading man, Joseph, and let's read his story together. Matthew 1, starting in verse 18. And the word of God says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. 
and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. Father, we thank you for this name above all names. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus that was given to us that first Christmas so long ago. We pray today, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you might rekindle our wonder, our awe of the great lengths that you have gone to in order to save us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we jump into this familiar Christmas story today, there are several things we need to to do this morning if we're really going to get everything that we can from this story. First off, we just need to follow the plot. Follow the plot. We need to hear this story with fresh ears and take it into our hearts. Matthew, who wrote this record of Jesus's life that we call the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, was of course one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And he starts this book by giving to us Jesus's genealogy. You see that there in verses 1 through 17. And he wants to demonstrate right from the beginning that Jesus had the right bloodline to fulfill all of the promises about the Messiah that we find in the Old Testament, that he was indeed in the line of Abraham, that he was in the line of King David, that he was who he needed to be, to be the promised Messiah. And so right after that genealogy in verse 18, Matthew says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. That's a good way to start telling the life story of anybody, I suppose, to tell when and how they were born, but it's especially important that we uh, know the miraculous way in which Jesus came into this world. You know, while the Gospel of Luke really focuses on uh, Mary, and we're going to look at that uh, next week, Matthew really focuses on Joseph and what all of this was like for him. Verse 18 says that all of this happened in the year that Joseph and Mary were betrothed or we might say engaged, to be married. Uh, but it's, it's very important that we understand that Jewish betrothal was a lot more serious and legally binding than our modern day engagement is. Uh, typically, parents would match their kids up when they were young. I know all the teenagers in our church really want their parents to do that today. Uh, probably. Probably not, but that's what they did back then. And, and then when it got to about a year from when they were to be married, it entered into a second phase of betrothal where, again, it became legally binding. They were actually considered husband and wife. Uh, even though they didn't move under the same roof and uh, they did not uh, consummate their marriage yet, again, they were seen as being as good as married. And it literally took a divorce to break off a betrothal. That's how legally binding this relationship was. And verse 18 says that during that betrothal year, Mary was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Now Luke in his gospel tells us more of the story. And we certainly have heard that story before. The angel Gabriel that came to Mary and told her that she was highly favored by God. That she would conceive a son in her womb that would be called Jesus. That he would be called the son of the highest. That he would rule over a kingdom that would have no end. 
And Mary was, of course, confused by that because she had never been with any man. But the angel told her that the Holy Spirit would come over her and overshadow her and that the child who would be born to her would be called the Son of God. And so Mary knew all of this because Mary had heard all of this from the angel Gabriel. But we need to remember that Joseph hadn't heard anything. Joseph had not as of yet had any angelic uh, visitor or explanation. He didn't know any of this that was going on. And so at some point in her pregnancy, uh, presumably Mary tells Joseph what is going on, not only about the pregnancy, but I'm sure about the angelic visit that she received, about the message that she received. But uh, it is very clear from verse 19 that Joseph did not believe her. And can you really blame him for that? I mean, all he knew was that his wife-to-be that he had never been with was pregnant, and that could only mean one thing. It's what anybody in Joseph's situation would have believed. And so now he had a decision to make about how he was going to handle what had happened. And we'll come back to this, but Joseph decides to divorce Mary as quietly as he could. At least that's what he planned to do. Until the night came that he received an angelic visitor as well in his dream. You know, it took an angel for Mary to believe what was going to happen in her life. And God knew it would take an angel for Joseph to believe all of this as well. And so that's who God sent to him. Verses 20 and 21 tell us what the angel said to Joseph. First, he calls him by name, Joseph, son of David. The fact that he calls him a son of David reminds Joseph that he stands in the line of the promised Messiah. The angel then told him not to divorce Mary, but rather to go ahead and marry her, which by the way, he does after this angelic visit. He takes Mary into his home. They become husband and wife, although technically they were still betrothed because they did not, as the text says, consummate that marriage until after the birth of Jesus. But again, he does take Mary into his home at this point. The angel tells Joseph that Mary had not been unfaithful to him, but that the child conceived in her was, in fact, a child uh, that was born of the Holy Spirit of God. And then in verse 21, the angel told him that Joseph should name him Jesus. It's interesting that while the angel tells both Mary and Joseph that the baby's name will be Jesus, it is Joseph who is commanded to name the child. Significant that not only does Joseph name the child, but that he raises the child. And because he does so, legally, Jesus would have been considered Joseph's son. Even though biologically, Matthew is telling us very clearly that Jesus was not Joseph's son. And that's why, by the way, the genealogy of Joseph that is here at the beginning of this chapter is so significant. It matters that Joseph stood in David's line because Jesus is Joseph's legal son and therefore Jesus was also legally in the line of David through Joseph, his earthly father. Just as Luke chapter 3 teaches us that Jesus was also biologically in the line of David through Mary, his mother. And so again, in every way, Jesus was qualified according to the scriptures to be our promised Messiah. Now, of course, some people have a problem with this whole concept of Jesus being born of a virgin. 
Uh, Many people, even many professing Christians, even some professing Christian scholars say that the church should no longer teach that Jesus was born of a virgin. They say that it's just something that's too fanciful to be believed, that it's only something that those with a pre-scientific first century mindset could have possibly believed. Uh, But I agree with what one person said. Even the supposed rubes who lived in the first century had figured out by that time that it took a man and a woman to make a baby. Uh, They had gotten that far. They knew that much. And so this idea of a virgin giving birth to a baby was not any easier for them to believe and accept than it is for us. This is, after all, a miracle. And I would ask the question, isn't that what we should expect? Did we think it was going to be normal when the second person of the eternal triune God takes on flesh and becomes a human baby boy? We we should have expected that that would happen in a miraculous, supernatural way. And I would also say this, that this miracle should not be too difficult for us to believe who are Christians and who believe a number of other miraculous things. If you believe in the miracle of creation itself, if you believe in the miracle of the incarnation, that the Son of God would become a man, if you believe in the miracle of the resurrection, that he would be risen from the dead on the third day, if you believe in those miracles, it should not be so hard to believe that God can do this if he chooses. Another thing to understand about the virgin birth is that it is theologically significant. It matters. There's a reason why we are told this in the Word of God. Many reasons why it matters. One of them is that the virgin birth shows us very clearly that the Son of God is both fully man and fully God. As one person put it, when it comes to Jesus' human nature, he had no father. And when it comes to his divine nature, he had no mother. That he was both the son of Mary and the son of God. And our redemption, by the way, our salvation depends on both of those truths. That we needed a Savior who would be both fully God and fully man. We needed a Savior who would be fully God, who would be able to pay the ultimate price that our sins required. And we needed a Savior who would be fully man who would be able to represent us and take our place when he died on the cross. And Jesus is both, fully God, fully man, the only one who could save us from our sins. And it's so important that we don't lose sight of that. I think sometimes when we read this story, it's easy to get bogged down with with questions that come to our mind, questions about the virgin birth, questions about Joseph and Mary's relationship and so on. It's so easy to, to get bogged down with all those questions that we lose sight of the main point of the story of Christmas. And the main point of the story is that God loves us and sent his son to be born in Bethlehem to save us all. Probably what shows that most clearly in this passage are the two names that are given to us of this baby who would be born. First, we see the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, verses 22 and 23, Matthew tells us that everything that happened in this story about the birth of Jesus fulfilled a promise that the prophet Isaiah that we sang about earlier wrote hundreds of years before. 
And in verse 23, he quotes from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then thankfully he translates that for us, which is translated God with us. I love the name Emmanuel, and it reminds us of who Jesus was. He was God with us. And you know, in this year of 2020, there's been so many difficulties, so many things that it seems like have have gone wrong. It's so important to remember, church, that God has not left us, that God is still with us. And he's still with us because he came to us. He's with us because that first Christmas, God with us came near. And Emmanuel was born. The other name in this passage is, of course, the name we're most familiar with, the name Jesus. Jesus was actually a common name for Jewish boys at that time. It's the same name as the Hebrew name Joshua that we read about in the Old Testament. Both Joshua and Jesus or Yeshua mean the same thing. They mean God saves. And that name tells us what this baby was sent to do. That's why when the angel told Joseph to name him Jesus, he said, call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. God saves and through this baby named Jesus, God would save. And again, that's ultimately what the Christmas story is all about. We've taken time to follow the plot, to hear the story once again. But the second thing we need to do this morning is we need to consider his character. To consider this character. Now when I say that word character, I really mean a couple of things by that. First off, we said in this series we're looking at different cast members in this cast of Christmas. And so today we're looking at the character of Joseph. But when I use that word character, I also mean that we're looking at the character of Joseph. We're looking at the moral qualities of this man. Who was he? And why did God choose him out of all the men who have ever lived to be the earthly father of his son, Jesus? You know, we actually don't know a a ton about Joseph, right? We don't don't know any of his favorite movies uh, or favorite board games. We don't know whether he liked cookies and cream or mint chocolate chip, right? We don't know any of those things about Joseph. But we do know some of the qualities and characteristics about Joseph because God gives them to us in his word. First off, we know that Joseph was an upright man, an upright man. He was Upright, stand up, a high character individual. And you see that in verse 19. It says, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. The word just means to be upright, to be righteous, to be honest, to be good, to be fair. That's the kind of man that by God's grace, Joseph was. You know, Joseph never says a word in the Bible. Did you know that? There's not one word spoken from the lips of Joseph that's recorded anywhere in the Bible. Some people have called him the silent member of the Holy Family. That doesn't mean he didn't talk. It just means that his words were not recorded for us in the Word of God. But you know, we don't have to know what Joseph said to know the kind of man that he was. We know the kind of man that he was because of how he lived his life and through the things that he did. I believe that the Bible calls us to both live out our faith and to speak about our faith. I believe we're called to do both. But if I had to choose one or the other, if I had to choose 
whether to live out the faith or to speak the faith. I would much prefer somebody who lives it out but doesn't speak about it than somebody who speaks about it but doesn't live it out. Because the Bible word for someone in that second category is the word hypocrite. And Joseph was not a hypocrite. He had integrity. He was an upright man. And in the context of verse 19, the way that God says Joseph showed his uprightness in this instance was by being merciful. It's a second quality to notice about Joseph. He was merciful. When he found out that Mary was pregnant, you can imagine all of the things that Joseph must have felt. I'm sure he was hurt. I'm sure he was disappointed. I'm sure he felt betrayed. He might even have felt a little bit angry. And he had a few options that were available to him in this situation. You know, according to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, what Mary appeared to have done during this betrothal period was actually a capital crime. Mary could have been stoned to death outside of the door of her parents' house. And Joseph could have pursued those charges if he wanted to move ahead with a public trial that would prove his innocence and prove her guilt. But he didn't do that. And he chose the most merciful, compassionate route that he could take given what he thought had happened. Verse 19 says he was going to just, quote, put her away, which means to divorce her quietly as he could. It says as to not publicly embarrass her. Despite the fact that he was personally wounded and hurt by what he thought Mary had done, he chose a course of action that showed mercy and grace and compassion to Mary. So Joseph was an upright man, he was a merciful man, but also he was clearly an obedient man. He did what God told him to do. Look at verse 24. After this dream, the angel appeared to him. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. And so Joseph woke up and he immediately did what God commanded him to do. He did not divorce Mary like he had planned to do. He married her, took her into his home. He did not know her intimately until after Jesus was born. He did this despite what he knew others would naturally think. He knew what they would think about him. He knew what they would think about her. He knew what they would think about their child. And yet he chose obedience over his reputation. He chose faith over his fears, and he did what God told him to do. He was obedient. I think you can start to see why it is that God chose Joseph, this man, to be the earthly father of the Son of God. I think it's neat to think about the fact that just like Joseph and Mary and all the other people we're going to look at in this series, and just like they had their turn in their role to play in the story of what God was doing back then, we also have a role in the story of what God is doing right now. We're on the stage right now. Have you ever thought about that? The curtain has lifted, the lights have come on, the director has called action, and right now we are on the stage of human history. And we have a role to play. Now certainly, the role that God gave Joseph and Mary was a unique role. There's only one woman who has been called to give birth to the Son of God and one man who's been called to be his earthly father. 
But God has given us roles to play. He says in Ephesians 2, he's prepared good works for us to do in our lifetime. And so, church, let's strive by God's grace to build in our lives the kind of character that this man Joseph had. To strive and pursue holiness like Hebrews tells us to do. To to chase after godliness. To seek to live a, a life that's upright, a life that's merciful, a life that's obedient. So that when God is looking for those that he can use during this moment in salvation history, that he knows we will give him all the glory. We'll be obedient to what he calls us to do. And that his eyes might fall on us. You know, because of the kind of man that Joseph was, because of the kind of character he had, God was so gracious to him to allow him to do something that no man ever before or ever since got to do, to be the human father of the son of God. Think about that for a moment. That's the third area that I want us to think about. Not only do we need to follow the plot and consider the character of Joseph, we also just need to embrace the wonder of this story. If there was ever a time to wonder and be in awe and be amazed, it is Christmas time. Our goal today should not be to read this story and to walk away with some more facts about who Joseph was. It should be our goal that what wells up within our hearts is worship and awe to our great God because of the great lengths that he has gone to to save us. Of course, we know the rest of the story. After the angel announced both to Joseph and to Mary that Jesus would be born, the time came for him to be delivered. Because of the census that was ordered, they had to travel to the town of Bethlehem, the city of David. Because there was no room for them in the inn, the baby Jesus was delivered in a cave, most likely with animals all around him. After he was born, he was wrapped tightly in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. And then came in the shepherds from the fields with their story of an angelic choir. Sometime later, the wise men came in, journeyed from afar to bring their gifts to the newborn king. We're going to look at all of these characters in the week's to come. But can you imagine for a moment what it would have been like to have been Joseph the night that Jesus was born? You know, I think every uh, mother, every father in this room uh, remembers very well the first moment that you got to hold your son or your daughter in your arms. It's an overwhelming feeling. You don't realize that you could love something so much that is so small. Right? And, and just an overwhelming sense of gratitude to God that he would allow you to be a parent, that he would give this special gift to you. But, but you know, also, I know definitely for me as a dad, along with that sense of love and that sense of gratitude, there was also an overwhelming sense of responsibility. And I'm thinking, God, really? You have, you have given me, the, I don't know how to take care of this. <laughs> you know, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to raise this child that you have just given to me? I don't know how to do this. That's how all of us feel with any son and any daughter that has been born to us. Can you imagine how Joseph felt? Can can you imagine standing beside the manger that night in Bethlehem, holding in your arms your firstborn son, but you know that the angel told you that the son that you're holding in your arms is the savior of the world. 
You know that the angel told Mary that the son that you're holding in your arms is the very son of God. And you have been given the responsibility to raise the son of God in your household, to protect him, to teach him, to raise him. I don't think there's any possible way that Joseph could have felt adequate to do what God was calling him to do. Matthew chapter 2 tells us that God directed Joseph by means of several more dreams. He told him, first of all, to flee Bethlehem and to go to Egypt to escape Herod's henchmen. And then sometime later, he came to him in a dream again and told him it was now time to take Jesus back to the land of Israel. And then when he got into the land of Israel, he came to him again in a dream and told him to settle in the region of Galilee. And so he went back to the town of Nazareth where he and Mary we're from, and it's there in Nazareth that Joseph was tasked with raising Jesus along with other sons and daughters who the Bible tells us were born to Joseph and Mary in the natural course of their married life. But imagine what that would have been like. Not, not just holding Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem. Imagine the task of raising Jesus, watching him grow as a toddler, as a child, as a teenager. And because Jesus was fully man, he learned things like any other child. Now, I know that makes our head want to explode, right? How can the all-knowing one learn things? And yet, this is what the Bible teaches us. And as he learned things, the two primary people who taught him those things were Mary and Joseph, his parents. Imagine teaching the Son of God to eat his vegetables, brush his teeth, to get dressed. But these are the things Joseph was tasked with teaching Jesus. He took Jesus into his carpentry shop, taught him many things about working with wood and stone and other materials. And yet, because Jesus was sinless, even though he grew and even though he learned things, Jesus never had to discipline him even once. Think about that. <laughs> never disobeyed once. I know we talk about, with our kids at least, we talk about the terrible twos, right? The terrible twos. With, with Jesus, it wasn't the terrible twos, right? It was the terrific twos. <laughs> and the terrific threes and fours and fives and all the way up. And his poor brothers and sisters, right? I mean, how many times do you think they heard growing up, why can't you be more like your big brother, right? Think about that. But, but along the way, again, I have to think that over and over and over again, Joseph felt so inadequate for the task that God had given him. I'm sure he wondered, how do I do this, Lord? I can imagine this was probably his question. He probably said, how do I raise a perfect son when I'm not a perfect father. You know, the last story we know that involves Joseph was when Jesus was 12 years old. Presumably, Joseph died sometime between when Jesus was 12 and when Jesus was 30 and began his earthly ministry. It means that Jesus lost his earthly father sometime when he was a teenager or, or in his 20s. And so the last story we have that includes Joseph is when Jesus was 12. And you remember the story. It's found in Luke chapter 2. They went to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. 
And after the Passover feast was over, they were heading back to Nazareth and they were with a a large company, all their extended family members, relatives, huge caravan as they made their way back to Nazareth. They assumed that Jesus was somewhere with one of their relatives or friends in the caravan headed home. And they made it a whole day's journey towards Nazareth before they realized Jesus wasn't there. They went and asked all their family members, nope, I don't have him. I've never seen, he's not here. Can you imagine what Joseph and Mary were feeling like, right? They just lost the son of God, right? And so they hurry back to go to Jerusalem and they search for him all throughout the city of Jerusalem. And when they finally find him, Jesus is sitting in the temple. Again, he's a 12-year-old boy. And he's sitting in the temple and he's interacting with the teachers of the scriptures. He's listening to them talk about God's word. He's asking them questions. And the text says that they were just, their minds were blown about how this 12-year-old boy understood so much about the word of God, almost like he had heard it somewhere before. And Mary and Joseph pull him aside and Mary says, basically, you had us worried sick. In fact, this is what she said. Look at it with me. Luke 2, verse 48. So when they saw him, they were amazed And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So at that time, Mary and Joseph had trouble understanding what Jesus was talking about. But we're able to look back on it now and And know that when Jesus referred to his father's business, he wasn't referring to carpentry. He wasn't referring to his earthly father, Joseph, at all. He was referring to his heavenly father. And again, the the way that Jesus' human nature and his divine nature work together will always be a mystery, believe to us. But it's clear that by this time, Jesus is conscious of who he is. He is conscious of the fact that he was the son of God, that his father had sent him here for a purpose, that he had some business to attend to in the course of his life. And his father's business was something that his earthly father could have never imagined. I've always loved this picture of Jesus as a toddler playing at the feet of his father Joseph in the carpentry shop. And you can see in this picture as the light comes through the window, the image of a cross behind him. That's the business that his father sent him here to do. To die for us, to save us from our sins. You know, a minute ago we talked about Joseph's question. Now his question was probably, how can you raise a perfect son when you're not a perfect Father, But, you know, that's a unique question to Joseph. That's not a question we need to ask because we haven't been tasked with raising uh, Jesus. But here's a question that all of us need to ask. Here's our question. How can you have a perfect father when you aren't a perfect child? How can we who are sinners have a relationship with a God who is a perfect heavenly father? The Bible says it's only possible because of what that perfect son of Joseph did. It's only possible because of what he came to do, to die for us, to save us from our sins. 
You know, again, while Mary was, Mary was there that day at the foot of the cross, she was there. She saw her son die. Joseph was gone by then. Joseph didn't live to see Jesus' ministry. He didn't live to see his miracles. Didn't live to see his teaching. Didn't live to see him die or rise again. How could Joseph have ever known that after all the hours he spent with Jesus teaching him to work with wood, to work with hammers and nails, that one day on a hill far away, someone would take a hammer and nails and drive them through the hands and the feet of his son. How could he have known that that's how the angel's words would be fulfilled? Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That, that was always God's plan. That was the reason why he was born. He was born to die, and through his death on the cross, Jesus saved his father Joseph and his mother Mary and you and me and everyone who would put their faith and their trust in the son of the carpenter. Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe today at the wonder the glory of your salvation plan. That you would send your son to be born of a virgin. That you would give him a father like Joseph to raise him. Or that one day in your plan, your son Jesus would be nailed to a wooden cross. And through his death, through his suffering, price that our sins deserved would be paid in full. Father, this is good news for us this Christmas. Help us to remember it. Father, every day this month, I pray as we read your word in our own time with you as we pray. And then as we gather together on the Lord's Day each week, as we come together on Christmas Eve. Father, would you rekindle in our hearts the wonder of how great you are, how great our Savior is, and what you have done to save us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.